Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Daily Bailey podcast, bringing you your daily dose of football today. I'll be talking with former NFL linebacker and founder of the Head Impact Prevention League, Tim Johnson. The Alabama native played college ball at Youngstown State University in Ohio and was inducted into the YSU Hall of Fame in 2010. In his six years in the NFL, he played for the Ravens, the Bears, the NFL Europe Rhine Fire, and the Raiders, who he made it to Super Bowl 37 with. There is so much to dive into today, and I can't wait. Tim, welcome to the podcast. I know you've been doing so much international travel with the NFL recently. Where are you calling from today? Hi, Bailey. Thanks for having me. I'm excited, and uh, again, uh, congrats. Congratulations on your podcast. Uh, happy to be here. I'm actually in Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland right now. Yep. Just left the Ravens game last night. Victory last night over the Bengals. Yeah. So that oh, was yeah. good. Yeah. So what has it been like seeing the NFL go international and expand to a global audience? Oh, Bailey. I mean, amazing. It was totally amazing. I did make it to Germany, Frankfurt, both games. Uh Chiefs and the Dolphins was a good game. The Chiefs won that one. And the following week, uh, we had the Colts and the Patriots, and the Colts won that one. I mean, to see that, me having played for, like you mentioned, uh, uh, the Ryan Fire in NFL Europe back in 02, mm-hmm. I mean, it was a- to see the growth the league has made, the steps that they've made to be international after taking NFL Europe away and dismantling that program, but coming back with a product that – we know all so well. And I saw that the, uh, the the German fans were, I mean, all of the European fans were all in and, I mean, packed house both weeks. Uh, to see the league grow internationally and give the same, if not better, product overseas, it was amazing. I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, I know that the European fans enjoyed it. Uh, you know, my family enjoyed it. I mean, it was a great outing. And uh, it was just, it's just amazing to see. And I also like to say it, the game appears a bit safer, you know, and I think the fans are looking for that. And it was good to see nobody really got injured, hurt, and that was good. It was a good, it was a good outcome, I believe. Yeah, that brings me to to one of my first questions. You ended your NFL career in 2009 in the Canadian Football League. Do you see a dramatic difference between international football and football in the States? Yes, I do. I mean, again, America, we have the biggest, the strongest, the fastest, uh, the best of the best, the cream of the crop. Uh, Not that other leagues don't. You just see that other leagues are striving to give the same product to their fans as well as, you know, the NFL. So, uh, you know, the competition is there between the CFL, uh, the GFL in Germany, European Football League. Those leagues are competitive, but, you know, you see a little bit of fall off in terms of attendance. I I like them both. I think they give you different varieties. You got 12 men on the field in Canada. You know, we're 11. So I think it's you get a taste of both worlds. And I think, you know, being a connoisseur, uh, I would like to say, of football myself, uh, I I like it all. I love it all. And that, that, that was one thing I learned once I went to the league. I said, you know what? National Football League. Uh, let's go. Oh, NFL Europe. Let's go international football in 02. Uh, you know what? Let's go to Canada. Let's just explore what this game looks like around the world. And what made you shift to the Canadian Football League? You know what? I had a chance to get back in the NFL uh, in 20, 
2009, 2010. Uh, so I, I took that shot to go to Canada uh, after not getting back in the league after 08 season, 07 season, 08. I went to Canada because I said, you know what, uh, here's a chance to get back. I got 10, 11 games of football played up there, got mm -hmm. some good film, good for good and good film, showing I could still run at that age. I think I was like knocking at 30 years old at the time. And, uh, you know, I ran, made plays. It worked out. I, I really had a good time up there competing for a great cup championship with uh, the uh, Calgary Stampeders. Great organization. And uh, like I say, Canada is a beautiful country as well. So I, I enjoyed it. And I can imagine your rigorous competition in the NFL and, of course, growing up competing in the heart of the South. You know, football central Alabama really prepared you for any any competition and taught you how to adapt to different styles of play. Can you walk me through your childhood involvement with sports and the culture of football in your hometown of Fairfield, Alabama? Wow, man, hometown Fairfield. I mean, we're, we're a steel town. We're a steel city, just like Youngstown is a steel city. So Fairfield U.S. Steel is right there in our cities, the, you know, the base and foundation of our city. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, up watching. Uh, the Crimson Tide, you know, Auburn Tigers, you know, watching the greatest players arguably of all time, you know, go through those universities. Uh, it was it was amazing. You know, being a Crimson Tide, playing for the Road Tide in Alabama was my dream. Uh, watching Alabama football really taught me a lot. Watching the watching how guys went about their business, the Cornelius Bennett's of the world, uh, you know, the, you know, Derek Thomas's of the world, just that whole national championship scenario in 92 with David Palmer, the Grayson. And, and that I think that, you know, Alabama football learning from how we go about the game and it just transferred into just wherever I went. And I did watching a lot of football as a kid. I played baseball as a kid from second to about seventh grade, you know, played catcher or catcher batted fourth in baseball. Moms wouldn't let me play football early. Second, third grade, I wanted to play. She's like, well, you're going to get hurt. I'm like, I don't get hurt, mom, but moms <laughs> helped me out of football. Yeah, moms helped me out of football early on, played baseball. And then I got into football in around seventh to eighth grade. Uh, and then waited to ninth grade to play. But again, bred, born and bred on Alabama and Iron Bowl football against Auburn every year. It, it was amazing. Yeah, Tim, I got to tell you, there was none of that in my household. My mom was not worried about my safety. I had three older brothers and I was oftentimes the ball. I wasn't I wasn't partaking. <laughs> I was I was what was being thrown. So I definitely got a taste of <laughs> youth as well of football in, in the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> So I know you were a standout uh, multi-sport athlete excelling, you know, in football, you mentioned baseball, basketball. I'm a big believer in cross-training, especially as a multi-sport athlete myself. How did cross-training help your football game? Well, I first had to learn how to win in basketball outside in the yard. We had a hoop in our yard. Yard dad, My dad put up a there. And, I mean, I would lose games one-on-one -on -one against my brother, my older brother, three years older. Um, I played against my neighbors, win and lose games against them, older guys. Uh, I grew up around older guys, older people. My sister's older, so I was right there growing up and competing against some of the greats of my city and town. And so learning how to win, my dad told me, son, because I used to run around and chase my brother and want to beat him up after I would lose. I'd cry, be mad. I'd want to fight because I lost a basketball game. You know, learning the competitive edge against my neighbors like Al Niles, who's now retired Army sergeant. But he, you know, competing against older men and older guys and 
it was just I got on the court. You know, I learned how to play up to a certain level in basketball, baseball, you know, leading the team as a catcher and batting and, you know, hitting, you know, knocking the ball out of the park. Then finally getting to football. By the time I started really getting serious about football in ninth grade, I was ready to compete and put that helmet on, shoulder pads, strap my stuff up and go play. So invaluable lessons to learn off the field, on the court, off the court. Um, you know, I think you know, learning how to, you know, go up against anybody, whoever came over our house, we battled. So I thought, you know, by the time we made it to football and start saying, okay, we're going to get serious about one sport, I was ready to go out and, you know, drop baseball in ninth grade, you know, play basketball through my senior year, but I had to let one sport go to focus more intently on one. How do you get out of the hood? How do you get out of the neighborhood? How do you get out of the house? That mama said, you're going to be under my house until you're 18. Okay. How do I navigate and get out to become a man and make myself and feed myself? So getting that meal ticket was the thing and how to eat after you're 18. Football is like, I can grow. I could think I could grow up. And, you know, I made up in my mind in 10th grade that I was going to go to the NFL. You know, I didn't ask to be drafted. I didn't have to, you know, make me number one overall and pay me all this money. I just said, look, I want to go to the NFL. So, thank God we made it, you know. Yeah, I mean, and such a successful career, too. So coming out of college, you were signed as an undrafted free agent to the Ravens. What was it like having to earn your spot fresh out of an extremely successful collegiate career, taking on a new role on a new team? You know what? I, again, I think it was, uh, you know, going through the college ranks, you know, going to the University of West Alabama, B2, you know, full scholarship out, out of high school, out of Fairfield. Uh, true freshman there, and then uh, end up saying, you know what? After watching Crimson Tide football, growing up in the game, didn't go to Bama, but guess what? This is a great opportunity. I called my dad. Hey, dad, you know what? I want to transfer to junior college because I want a bigger scholarship. And my dad said, son, I support you. You know, whatever you want to do. So I was like, wow, got my pop support. And uh, I transferred to East Mississippi Community College uh, from West which at that time people say, oh, you're taking a step down, don't go down, don't go down. It's like, nah, I, I see something. So I, before the portal, before transfers, really, you know, you go to Juco, I went to Juco. I had to go and earn a job or another, you know, full ride some kind of way through Coach Good and Coach Sullins over at East Mississippi. And I think that moment, becoming a man, dropping the money and saying, this ain't about money, this ain't about meal tickets no more this is about going to the next level how are you going to get there if you feel like you're better than d2 and better than this level how are you going to get to the highest level down to go up and uh when i got to east mississippi there were guys playing at mississippi state university of houston who uh, university of north alabama who are getting looked by the league looked at by the league already and then the one guy antoine smith got drafted first round by the patriots I think by the time I got out of JUCO and went to Youngstown State for two seasons, by the time I got to the Cold City State of Maryland and the Ravens, it, you know, it's like, okay, I'm ready, right? And the Colts were interested in calling me on draft day. I chose the Ravens over the Colts on draft day as an undrafted guy. Had them both on the phone. What? And I said, go with the Ravens, Super Bowl champion, 35 champion. You know what? Raiders MVP. You know what? Let me go ahead and compete. I've seen, like, and I'm here. So it wasn't about money. It was about opportunity. And there was no guarantees, but we took the Ravens. And wow, I made that opening day roster from going through training camp, competing against the Shannon Sharps, with the Ray Lewis, with the team that just won the bowl. By the time I got there, you know, I was 
you know, it was like ice. I had ice in my back. So to be in that atmosphere, to be on Hard Knocks, HBO, uh, to, to you know, that that was the the point of that was the start of like reality TV and letting cameras into locker rooms and teams. And that was the first. The Ravens showed me how to do it. I learned from Ozzy Smith, Ozzy Newsom, who's the he was a general manager then. Ozzy, an Alabama guy, found me as an Alabama talent, and I was just fortunate to be there. And Tim, that that grinding, you know, that that journey, you were working so hard to to get to um, the Ravens. And then once you're at the Ravens, then then you make the transition to the Bears. What was that like? I got released prior to 9-11 or same, same like the day of 9-11, I got released. Wow. And then the next week, I go to the Bears, which the first game, the first week one game was Ravens Bears Bears here at PSI Net Stadium. So we played against the Bears. Yep, that day. I think we end up winning, and then they released me, and then I got called by the Bears by Morocco Brown, a great scouting recruiter who got me, saw me on film running around Baltimore, picked me out, go sit behind Urlacher. So I mean, I opened up my career because I didn't go to the Colts, chose not to go to the Colts for two thousand dollars, turned it down, went to Baltimore for free, and then I said, you know what? Got picked up by the Bears. Said I'm starting my career behind Ray Lewis and Brian Urlacher. And I sat in Chicago for the whole season. I was on practice squad, on and off, cut, release, fought back, cut, release, fought. And I experienced that, you know, special team, I mean, scout player of the week every couple of weeks under Coach Dick Gerard. So for me, it was about understanding however great I was in college. I had to reinvent and reimagine what my greatness level would be. It was like I haven't played football since Youngstown State. Yeah. I just want to play football. I'm not playing for money. I, you know what? I'm going to Europe. You know, he's like, oh, stay. You know, well, no, you had a chance to activate me and play me all season. I would have stayed. I'd have been active one game. But now let me just go play football. I just want to go have some fun. Yeah, and, and you seem to have this innate drive and passion for the game. You you want to learn. I mean, you're learning from the best. But I can imagine that it, that it can be hard to be on that practice squad, right? We, we've all had moments where we're on the bench watching, watching people play, and you want to get out there. So can you walk me through or think back to a time um, of moments of mental frustration or a time where you faced adversity and how you overcame that? Well, again, growing up, there's a lot of adversity, a lot of things going on, a lot of stuff flying around. Uh, you know, again, by the time I made it, you know, my hustle and grind, you know, my dad, we get up on, me and my brother, we get up on Saturday mornings. We want to go cut trees. You know, we holding rope, holding trees. Daddy up there and climbed up there. He cutting and topping the tree out, boom, boom, dropping limbs, dropping stumps down. We working on Saturdays, hustling. So the hustle yeah. of, okay, daddy ain't at the job, you know, every day for 37 straight years. We go out and hustle after he get off work and we go out and hustle during the week, cutting grass, cutting trees. So by the time I got there, you know, again, getting it what we call out of the mud, coming from where we come from, it's about, no, I was happy as I don't know what being on the practice squad. I'm making $94,000 a year now. And it's, you know, people averaging 50, I'm making more than my dad. I'm happy. This is the way it's supposed to be. From where I'm from, I'm happy. I'm eating. I'm, uh, but you know, man, I'm happy. I don't know what. I'm out of the. I'm out of the house, right? I'm out of the neighborhood. I made it, and uh, it was no turning back. It was just about you. Just keep grinding. You just keep playing football. The rest gonna happen. So it was never a time where I was like, why ain't I playing? No, 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 no. It's the league. You gonna play? You just stay in. I think the hardest thing was to do 
is getting in the league, you know, getting called to say, come to the, once you, once I got in, I'm like, I'm in, I'm in now. So it was, it was the grind of never quitting and never thinking about quitting, but grinding to say, I'm going to be great. Cause look who I'm watching. Look who's, who's in front, who look who I'm around. And what a mindset to be so grounded in, in gratitude at such a high level. You played for many different NFL programs. What coaching style would you say fit fit your playing style the best? Well, it was some greats. And you got Rex Ryan in Baltimore. You got you know, Marvin Lewis in Baltimore. That defense that that 2000 Ravens team put together was still number one, basically arguably number one in the history of the sport. Um, uh, Marvin Lewis, Rex Ryan, Jack Del Rio, uh, you know, Mike Smith. I mean, all those head co- became head coaches in the league, uh, went on to become, you know, like I say, managers and that with other teams. But uh, that Buddy Ryan, Chicago Bears defense, which Rex Ryan and Rob Ryan, Ryan are twin brothers. Yeah. Um, from the Ryan brothers, I thought, who had, you know, Rob had been in the been around with the Patriots for two or three Super Bowls. When when he came out to bought to Oakland with us and became the D coordinator, the way he would draw it up, I mean, it was like playing as a kid in the in the street back in the yard, just draw it up in the dirt. Like we're gonna adjust, we're gonna not let them beat us this way because we're gonna have an adjustment to what they adjust to. So just how I learned to, you know, audible at any point on defense, just as well as offense audibles, you know, Peyton's all this, Omaha. Well, we had an Omaha on defense that if you Omaha, we were going to Nebraska. So it was a game, a mental game of not just getting stuck and lining up in cover two, you know, which, you know, no knock on the Bears, but we played a base cover two scheme. I mean, coming from a fancy, you know, number one defense in Baltimore, Ravens, to the Bears just base two, not a lot of moving around, adjustments, playing around with the quarterback. It was different, you know. So, uh, you know, Coach Duran in Chicago did a good job. Go, I mean, the coordinator Greg Blash was, you know, pretty good. Uh, had a good defense in, in uh, with the Monsters of the Midway. Now we have a good defense in Chicago. It was just base, not a lot of let's say blitzing and this and that. But um, the coaching styles, I think, like I say, throughout throughout my career, were, you know, I say the, I, the Ryan brothers stick out to me based upon you know Buddy Ryan's four six defense. And it sounds like, you know, the Ryan brothers and Oakland had that special sauce. And of course, I got to hear about your infamous infamous uh, punt block against Tampa Bay, Super Bowl 37, that Oakland returned for that touchdown. Can you walk me through that play and that moment, Tim? Look, I'm a winner. We've been winning, you know, played for the national championship in Youngstown in 1999. We needed to make a play. And it's the start of the fourth quarter, something like that. And I go to the sideline. I say, hey, look, number three. I was like number two, one, two, three. I was middle guy from the edge out. I was next. And then the three. I said, three, take your guy hard and inside. I told one, take your guy hard and up the field. Give me one-on-one with this guy at tackle. And they did that. And I got a chance to just kind of power him back and, and blocked it. And man, it went up. I mean, it was up there. It's still, like it's up there now. I'm looking for. I'm saying, where did it go? You still see it. And ten other guys. You look at the picture. Ten other guys. Like, oh, I got it. But I'm a playmate. Week one, when I got to Oakland, when I got there, week one, Jerry Rice stood up and said, ten thousand dollars to the top special teams player. I'm sitting on practice squad. Like, oh my gosh, the greatest of all time. Receiver is gonna say, hey, look, because we want to be great. 
and then the Super Bowl, I think I played a total of nine games and ended up winning that 10 grand from Jerry after that punt block in that. Really? And so I was going, absolutely grinding. Of I'm course. telling you. Yeah, I mean, you you performed so well under pressure. You rose to the occasion, and I'm sure that childhood, you know, that competitiveness on the basketball court as a kid really came out in, in something like the Super Bowl, of course. And the Super Bowl, it's such a culmination of your hard work throughout your career. How do you mentally prepare for an event of that caliber? You got to already be ready. You know, you, you don't play the game the day of the game. You play the game mentally throughout the week, pre pre preparation, and big-time players make big time plays in big time games. And so that's when I became a big time player. Yeah, I mean, rising to the occasion the way that you did, it it puts you on the map. I got to know, looking back on your time in the NFL, what was the best part? When the Jets came to town, I had five tackles. Every time we scored, we kicked off, I made the tackle. I became the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week by the league. The Titans came to town, I called the fumble on a kickoff or a kickoff they fumbled we got the ball back we ended up winning that game by like four points or something like that flying back jerry rice said hey tim tj how you want it cat how you want the money cash a check i'm like what you yeah he said yeah you got the you you want the you want the money i was like man i said write me a check jerry rice so that i can photocopy that, that check and yeah. i'm gonna hang it on my mama yeah i did not just give me and so till this day i have the check jerry no. rice ten thousand yeah, I copied the check and it's on my wall to this day. So, uh, and then Jerry Rice is the GOAT. Absolutely. And Tim, that Super Bowl performance was such a turning point in your career. I mean, wow. So, so shifting gears a little bit here. Now there seem to be many resources available for players to monitor and upkeep their mental health. What resources did you have in the early 2000s when the conversation around mental health may not have been as prevalent? I'm sure the resources were there. Um, sure, the league and safety committee can point to those, uh, you know, resources. But the last thing I was thinking about was my my own health and mental health. No, I'm it wasn't an issue then. It wasn't. I don't think we had an issue at that time. And I love what you said about, you know, kind of taking it back to your childhood love of the game. It seems like that passion never deterred for you or never decreased. It was always there. And returning to that childhood love and competitiveness has been really important in your journey. You know, we talk about passion, you know, having to play the game in the front yard, on the streets, pick up games at school, hot ball on the park, just to be able to play the game with no pads, you know, no, no, gear, no gear, nothing, you know, organized. Yeah. I loved every time I could pick that ball up because I wasn't playing organized. So right. the passion, the love, you know, the, the heart for the game is I, what took me and propelled me as far as I did go with the mindset put together. The league never tested and asked a question about how much do you love? this game put your heart on the table and let's just see who got the biggest heart and passion for this game i think if we did that at the combine i might have been first round number one top pick draft pick in the in in, in the game because in my draft with michael big being one i loved i love this game and i can jerry rice ray 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 lewis you know Erlacher, Brian. i can call all the greats one set Rob Wilson, 
Pim Brown, I can call up any great and I can put my heart on the table and I would be saying, I love this game more than all that. And you share this passion, this great sense of passion and love for the game, you know, when you return to your alma mater. So what made you return to YSU as the director of player personnel? Completing my degree. I want to finish on campus at my alma mater where I started. And so, you know, I packed up and the family moved up to Youngstown, moved from Baltimore to Youngstown. And I went on campus, set the stage to be called on to become the first player, director of player personnel in university history. And I, I believe in the big picture. You know, everything happens for a reason. I'm pretty rooted in my faith. And I do I do believe that, you know, it's probably a part of the, the greater plan and that this is such a full circle moment for you to go back to your alma mater and, you know, continue to spread that passion you have for the game. I got a I got a tricky question for you here, Tim. How would you describe mm -hmm. your playing style in one word compared to your coaching style in one word? My playing style, it was kill. And it was something, keep it likable and learnable. It's one time, something I learned. It was about just oh, being so a the phrase, killer. The phrase, not kill, but there's the phrase. Yeah, keep it likable and learnable, even okay. when the defensive scheme. Killer mentality on the field, which is a violent sport. So I had to be a killer on the field, football field, which was a safe haven, you know, off the streets, out of the drugs, out of just... How do I stay focused? I got to be everything I want to be on the street. I got to be it on the field. And that, so the killer mentality on the field. Uh, and then selflessness, the word selfless. I, so I'm a tennis player and a field hockey player. And in that team, yeah, in mm -hmm. that team environment, I'm working as an individual, but also, you know, collaborating with teammates. And you have to be selfless on a team. Um, especially when there's a ton of pressure on you, like you're on the tennis ladder, if you don't win your match, you know, that's, that's on you. That's not, you can't blame your teammates. You're out there. So that element of that, that added pressure, but also you have to be selfless and give as much as you can to your team for the, for the greater good. And yeah. I, I want to shift gears a little bit here, Tim, to the very special league that you founded head impact prevention league. To my understanding, the league is designed to create a safer game by changing the type of helmet and shoulder pads players wear, particularly in an attempt to address CTE and concussion concerns. Is that right? That's correct. So now, did you have a personal experience with concussions that led you to the creation of this league? I mean, obviously, you get your bell rung, you know, get knocked out. I can't point to one injury or, you know, now we know there's TBI or MTBI. I vaguely remember, again, after I retired in 2010, I had a good friend, uh, Lance Labrie, I'll call his name because good guy, my homie. He was working somewhere in league office and I can't remember calling him and reaching out to him and saying, hey, look, Lance, it's 2010 now. I don't know. I can't remember what the frame was around the conversation. Maybe it was just starting or, but I remember calling Lance. I said, Lance, if we want to, y'all want to stop this concussion stuff. I said, we just need to go back to leather helmets. And man, he laughed me off the phone. That's why I still, I love the story. He laughed me off the phone because he was silly. And it seemed like we hung up laughing. He laughed me. So yeah. uh, from that, I, you know, going back to get my degree and finishing in college in, in, in Youngstown in 2013, I kind of remember writing about, you know, violence in sports and leather helmets and how to kind of help the youth, you know, because mental health start to become a thing by this like, yeah, we can yeah, let's just focus on, you know, and so I wrote a couple of papers in that, but 
uh, by 2017, you know, after I had Tim John, I'm back in Youngstown. I'm living out there. I'm doing football camps for the youth. Man, I don't want nobody to get hurt. It's November. These kids got to go play basketball. Track. Like, I, I'm not, I don't want no kid to get hurt. And uh, I don't know. It seemed like Coach Trestle was, he would support me. He would be there. It seems like I remember him telling me or saying something like, uh, after one of those games, one year he was like, I want you to put some education into the game. Some kind of way, guarantee their health and or not be liable for their health after a season of banging and, and then an extra all-star game. Like, it's like the Pro Bowl. It's like, Kyle don't want to go play in it because it's like, I got to get paid, right? right? It's the same mentality, yeah. right? And so I kind of like, my hip became about my NFL experience again. Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, Tim Brown. I never tackled my teammates. These guys are worth millions. They're going to help us win games. You tag off in practice. You tag off, stay up, don't fall down, don't push Jerry, don't touch him, don't make him fall, stay yeah. up. So we tag off as pros because we're worth millions. And I thought these kids are worth more money than I am, than I'll ever be today, they worth more. So I said, wow. let's tag off like we do in the league and let's learn, let's stand around, line up, walk through. And we started teaching the game from A to D to one two, three, four, we start teaching the game from a base standpoint of learn this game before you go put that helmet on. Y'all don't know what y'all need to know. Stop running around and yelling at kids and screaming at them because they're young. They don't know what to do. It's not, I love this game too much to say, oh, this game terrible. Stop playing or don't play. No, 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 no. We're going to keep playing because I played as a kid and I ain't getting no concussion because I was tackling different. And you have such a way about you, Tim, and such such influence over the game and over the youth members of the game, particularly with your league. What do you hope players get out of participating in your league? I hope they all go on and win Super Bowls, like the kids and the coach who decided to participate in Youngstown, Coach Dan and, them and his, his squad. And they went out the same season. They went through my program in the spring and then in the summer, and then they went and played football in the fall. Well, guess what? Coach Dan them adopted him. They said, yeah, we're going to play tackle still. We're going to still tackle. Cool. But what we're going to do, we're going to go hip Monday, Wednesday, Friday. No tackling, but we're going to tag off. We're going to play hip. But then we're going to, you know, put pads on Tuesday, Thursday. They went out and won a Super Bowl and went undefeated, those kids. I got a picture of them on my Instagram. They went undefeated and won the Super Bowl of their, of their league, of their weight class. And I said, that's it. That's it. Because they learned how to hit a blitz. Not because you call it blitz up the A-gap. If the linemen were blocking, they would hit the A-gap moving and stay in their gap. So that sound and that sound, how they became sound and technically sound and, yeah. and, and learn the game. I thought, yeah, that's what we want. We want to train and teach and go out and win at not only the game, but life. Because right. after you're done, you want to be in good mental mental health. And that's still the goal to this day. I just hope, and you take that on and you pass it down through the line of history, the next 100 years of this game will be, will be more hip and to, We'll, we'll hip the whole world to what, you know, how we should be play, play this game. And that's what I'm more excited about in Europe 
which is a really safe country. And, and you're right. It's it's not just about the violence and the aggression of the game, but it's also about the tactics and the. I was just watching quarterback on Netflix and seeing how much prep the quarterbacks go into. They're not just throwing a ball. You know, it, it is a very strategic. It is um an analytical game. So you're right. There's so much more than just going out there and getting out your uh, pent up aggression and and the violence. Right. It, that's how you start out, and it's fun, and it's go yeah. bang around. Okay. But again, putting education in the game says you, we need that at the earliest level, at the earliest time in our life, earliest point in our career. If we can get that NFL level training at uh, age four or five, you know, any gender, we can get the training up. And now we can get girls, my daughters, my you, you know, women can play the game. And and speaking of, you know, your daughter, a question that's a little close to home here. Do, would you allow your children to play football the way that it's run currently? No, no, not until we get the, in my mind, not until we get, I see some change. Again, looking at my daughter, three daughters, it's about, I looked at them, we were riding in the car one day and I had them, they had the hip football helmets on and had the jerseys. Yeah, they we were riding and I took a picture of them. I said, Hey, I hope my daughters can play this game. It's that great of a game because it teaches about life, teamwork, commitment, you know, brotherhood. So it just is a great teacher of life. Yeah. You know, heartbreaks, you know, you know, tough situations, uh, and then persevering. Um, I would love my kids to play this game. We just got to get it where, where they can. Got to get it safer. Yeah. And I love how you're expanding it to both genders because, you know, Absolutely. it is clearly a male dominated sport, but I, you know, it definitely can teach all genders um, a lot of important lessons. So Tim, you've mm -hmm. built a wonderful business, a career and a family. My last question for you today is what's next for you? I, I, I like to look at it in, in a day by day approach and, you know, like anything else, staying in line with what we've done so far. And uh, at the end of the day, as long as we're in the totem pole, <laughs> You know, wherever you stack, wherever the chips fall, let them fall. But for me, I enjoy any position that I'm in in this in this thing called life and 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 uh, pursuit of happiness. Uh, I said all that to say, don't worry about me. I'll be good. <laughs> no, I have no doubt that you will be good. I mean, you, Tim, you're you're great. Your energy is infectious. Your passion oh. for life really oh. incredible. And I, I really I cannot thank you enough for coming on today. Before I let you go, where can people find you on social media um, and hip? Where can they find more resources? Um, Instagram at hip football, Instagram and uh, hip MD, hip MD underscore LLC Instagram. So my Instagram is where you'll see most of the work, the buildup of the league all the way to now. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Tim Johnson, hip football, hip MD. You know, again, Bailey, I appreciate you bringing me on. It's been so fun listening and, and learning and, and going through this kind of recap and learning a little bit about each other. But I just, I'm thankful for the opportunity. I'm, you're the one that brought this out, brought this out. And so I, I, I can't thank you enough for, uh, you know, endeavoring, digging into a little bit of the weeds to try to figure some of this stuff out. All right, guys. Well, with Thanksgiving coming up next week, it's only right that we had two football players, a very football field week here on the Daily Bailey, uh, Tim Boyle on Tuesday, and of course, Tim Johnson today. Thank you guys so much for listening and tune into next week for another episode of the Daily Bailey podcast.